Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris from PleasureMechanics.com, and on this podcast, we have honest, explicit conversations about sex, pleasure, and the joy of connection. Come on over to PleasureMechanics.com, where you will find all of our archived podcast resources and all of our online courses for when you are ready to up-level your erotic skills and go on new erotic journeys. You'll find it all at PleasureMechanics.com. On today's episode, we are welcoming back to the podcast, Dr. Alexandra Solomon, She is a clinical therapist, a professor, and an author of some of our favorite books about what it means to love bravely. You'll find the links to previous interviews with her in the show notes. Today's episode focuses on her new book, Love Every Day, 365 Relational Self-Awareness Practices to Help Your Relationships Heal, Grow, and Thrive. This book is a rich offering of relational self-awareness practices that can incrementally transform your ability to give and receive love, to be in caring mutual relationships, and to be in deeper connection with yourself, your loved ones, and the world. Please join us in welcoming back to the podcast, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Dr. Alexandra Solomon, welcome back to Speaking of Sex. Thank you so much for being with us. Some folks may have heard our previous conversations, but for folks new to this conversation, can you please introduce yourself and the work you do in this world? I'm so happy to be sharing space and time with both of you again. So thank you so much for this invitation, and uh, I'm so glad we're making it happen. Um, so I, yes, I've, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and couples therapist by training, and I've been in practice for oh, 20 plus years. And my work sort of moves between the three corners of a triangle of um, seeing individuals and couples at all stages of life and relationship development. And I've been an educator for many years on faculty at Northwestern University, training master students to do couples therapy mm-hmm. and teaching an undergraduate relationship and sexuality education course called Building Loving and Lasting Relationships Marriage 101 that Chris was once a guest lecturer in. And I loved having you there with me and that course. And then also a translator. So I translate research and clinical wisdom into tools for the general public. And that takes the form of my relationship self-help books and e-courses and social media work and podcasts and Chris is snuggling this new book, Love Every Day. And yeah, that is, I I love, and I feel like each of those elements really informs the others. But I tell you what, I love the translation stuff because it puts me in spaces like this and conversations like this with the two of you. Mm -hmm. And this most recent offering, Love Every Day, 365 Relational Self-Awareness Practices, to help your relationship heal, grow, and thrive. Some would call this a devotional, a daily devotional. It's such a rich offering. Um, And I'm curious, what have you learned in the classroom setting, in the research, in your clinical practice that brings you home to this idea of daily practice, of making it something we do every day and not a therapeutic intervention when we're in full crisis? Mm -hmm. Why practices? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think, well, so I've, I've always been a lover of books. I feel, I think that, you know, growing up in a family system that didn't feel particularly safe or predictable, <laughs> my books were always super safe and predictable. And I always had lots of books around me. And mm-hmm. so I think I'll always be a writer of books, but I always have had a special place in my heart for these daily books. There's something that just feels so generous for an author to offer you a little something, something every single day. And so it's been so fun now to be on the giving end of something that I have always loved receiving, you know, these daily devotionals. Mm. But yeah, as I... As I dove more deeply into this design, I was like, oh, there are so many connections here between how a therapeutic journey works. You know, therapy isn't the one insight, you know, that, that offers the unitary theory of why you are the way you are and why your relationship <laughs> is the way, you know, it is in the, 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 all of the kind of mud and muck and, and again and again and coming back and revisiting. And so that idea of a healing journey being in small doses really fits for me. And then the idea as you're as you're getting to of our relationships are not a status. It's not a check the box and we are now a couple and therefore that is what we are. It is it is as therapists like to say, and I'm sure the two of you like to say, love is a verb. It is it is the the actions and the and and the small little things. And that's what certainly what the research shows. I know that this is what the Gottman's, you know, research has shown us, that it is the small daily practices, the things that we say a bit differently, the things that we don't say because they actually don't need to be said and are not in the service of our relationship. And so there's also that kind of parallel of these little practices. And I think especially when it comes to romantic relationships, we're we're raised on this diet of like sweeping gestures and grand declarations that really aren't how love works. I mean, certainly, a, you know, a lovely whatever rose petal covered bed is a, you know, very nice gesture, but it doesn't count more than, you know, the little the little things like bringing up feedback in a way that is gentle and where our partner's able to kind of hear it and take it in. So those are some opening thoughts I have. I'm curious how those land for the two of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I feel like so many people, of course, want to work on their relationship and put some intention into it. But um, finding the time and space to do that can be so challenging. And I love how this book allows for just these nuggets each day that are really dense and that you do <laughs> kind of need to digest and be with. So I feel like the design is so intentional and so beautiful. And I'm curious about how you want people to use it. I know when we first got it, um, we opened it up to our birthdays and it felt like an oracle. Really? Why are you coming after me like this? Yeah, it's <laughs> on my like, on my birthday, Nola. Exactly. It's a little like, okay. Um, right. So I took notes from it, I have it near my office part. I was like, okay, I should like absorb this, you know? And I and I, I love that as mm-hmm. a yeah, as a daily devotional, as something to return to. Mm-hmm. And so how are you thinking of people using it? Yeah. Well, Charlotte, I'm glad that we're, I'm glad that you're highlighting like the kind of density or the like charge of these entries. And thank God you only have to do one a day because there is a lot to sit with. And I want couples or individuals to have a ton of permission to work on one entry for a week or a month. You know, there's, this is not, it's not the 2023 or 2024 book. You get to have this book for as long as you want to have this book. And so there's no, there's no need to pace. And when one of the entries hits you like that, just give yourself time to digest it and sit with it and work with it and let it kind of wash 
over you and through you. This is not a race. And I think for some of us, either because we feel like we've come to this work a bit later in our lives or because there's quite a bit of relational pain, we can feel like we got to dive in. It has to be every day. It has to be journaling. It has to be. It has to be. And we know that our systems just can't hold that much. We are, like, I think about like a sponge. You know, there's a fixed amount that a sponge can hold. And so faster isn't better. I think that's true with your with the work that the two of you offer the world, right? More, more and faster isn't better. Mm-hmm. That slow down and savor thing, right? Um, slow down. <laughs> and that's why I love the design that it's like every day so that you can mm-hmm. return to it year after year because as you said some of these practices presumably take quite a bit of time to really sink in and become real in our life and right it's not a tear away calendar either right, right? that you do once every day yeah and I'm mm-hmm. curious like, what you've seen in your experience as a therapist in terms of these practices and the time that they take to really sink in for people mm-hmm. like growth and behavioral change takes time and how do you relate to that? Like, and yeah. what's a realistic goal there? How do we think about that for ourselves and the and kind change. of urgency of want of change sometimes and the, the patience it takes to allow for it? Yeah. I think that one of the most important things that individuals and couples can do is really like develop um, the ability to notice the one degree of difference, right? Because mm. it's like our relationships are these cycles. You know, we, we have, a, there may be a new variation on this theme because now there's a, a sick parent or now there's a, you know, child with a, you know, a challenge in their lives. Like, so the, the context may change, the content might change, but similar themes around in a moment like this, I feel like you begin to, and in a moment like this, I feel like you begin to, like there's sort of the thematic elements that may look a little different because the context is different. So that can give couples a sense of like, oh, here we go again. It's the same thing we always do. And so one of the best things we can do is develop that sense of like, what's the little, little, little way that this went different? What's the one degree of difference that we had in this conversation versus two years ago versus mm-hmm. six months ago? Like just, And then savoring, to use a, mecha- a pleasure <laughs> mechanics term, savoring the heck out of that and really mm-hmm. celebrating this little way that we were different. And I think that it's, mm-hmm. it's hard. Those can be really hard to notice. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a generous offering it is to your partner to say, uh, it meant so much to me mm-hmm. that you stepped away before you raised your voice. I know how hard that's been for you. It meant so much to me. I saw the deep breath that you took before you responded. That meant so much to me. Like noticing mm-hmm. it in each other and noticing it within ourselves, you know, the sort of hand on the heart. And mm-hmm. I know exactly how I would have handled this a year ago or five years ago. So I think that's it is holding that tension of we're going to continue to have issues and dynamics and patterns and, right, that both and of these patterns are still here, these tendencies are still here, and I'm watching me and you and us finesse them a bit differently than we used to. Mm-hmm. Will you speak to us about that me and you and us thing about relationships, right? Because even this term relational self-awareness um there's such an emphasis sometimes on relationship, relationship, and sometimes we mean the one relationship, right? Like the marriage, when all of us are relational beings in many relationships and within that, the self, right? And so how Mm -hmm. do these practices focus on self 
And do you actually need to be in a couple to engage in this work? Or can we bring this work to all of our relationships in all of the facets of our lives, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I definitely come back to again and again is that for the most part, just about anything I say about a couple dynamic can be translated to a friendship, uh, you know, a relationship with a family member, sibling, loved one. You know, there are definitely things that are that stand apart about intimate relationships, but it is, but, but I think that to your point, Chris, I think that what's true in a relationship with a partner can be true in other parts. I mean, we, we take ourselves with us. We are the through line in all of our relationships. And so, yeah, the, the, the idea of relational self-awareness is, is just a reminder to all of us that we do this deep inner work for ourselves and our own healing and so that we can create relationships that really feel nourishing, where we can nourish the people that, in our lives and feel nourished by them. So it's not like a sort of navel-gazy, you know, working on myself kind of idea. It is working on myself in the service of the relationships with the people that I love. But I know, I mean, what I know to be true, at least in my own life, is my relationship, well, I think this is true for all of us, my relationship with myself sets the stage. I know that I am, if I've been particularly, if I'm struggling with self-compassion, for example, and I've got lots of like chatter in my head about whatever, my body, my work, how I'm showing up as a mom, as a mom I will hear my husband's comments as far more critical than they are. You know, a neutral, what, what anybody else would comment as a, you know, would code as a neutral comment will land critically to me, right? Because because I'm being cruel to myself. And so then I I expect and I hear cruelty in the world around me. As the polyvagal people like Deb Dana would say, you know, your state determines your story. So when I'm in a self-critical place, my story is that everybody is judging me and my husband is judging me. And, you know, there's – so that, like, working within myself is in the service of how I connect with others. And take us into that moment, right? Because the first moment there is of recognizing it, that awareness of catching ourselves in a pattern. What is the next practice there? Is it saying out loud to your husband that this is how you're perceiving it? Is it taking time to reset? Like, how do you relate to that? What do you need to do internally versus bring to the table of a relationship Mm -hmm. and the work between you? This happened last night, actually. <laughs> I'll tell you how it played out last night. Um, I'm I'm dealing I, I'm I'm dealing with you know a pretty extraordinary stressor in my sort of family of origin mm. system, and and that I think that dealing with that stressor brings up stuff in me about the the quality of the job that I'm doing. How am I showing up as a daughter right now? Am I doing enough? And there's I have a lot of anxiety about that. And so I'm aware that there's some self-critical chatter about am I doing enough? And what's, you know, what does a good daughter do in a moment like this? And I, you know, I was Todd did something that was really benign, something he does just about every day. <laughs> it was it I found it to be quite triggering. The details yeah. don't matter. And I yeah. said to him, I'm feeling a little flooded. It's It was clear enough to me, this is me, not you, because he was really quite literally just doing what he always does. I was just responding to it differently because of my own stuff in this moment. And I said, I'm going to step away. I don't want to say something right now that you know I'm going to regret or is going to make a relational mess on top of everything else 
going on. So I did. I recognized it and I said it out loud, not before I made a snarky comment, but it was only one snarky comment. I caught it. I owned it. (laughs) Patted myself on the back that I didn't make an entire mess. I just made a little mess. We will continue our conversation with Dr. Solomon after taking a moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. At shamelesscare.com, you can find sexual medical services in a shame-free, sex-positive environment. They can ship you ED meds and offer STI testing through the mail. And now they can also offer Doxypep. Doxypep is a low-dose prescription antibiotic taken after unprotected sex, including unprotected oral sex. It acts as a morning after pill for STIs. Studies have demonstrated that it reduces the likelihood of contracting syphilis and chlamydia by 80% and gonorrhea by 60%. This is a great tool to have in your toolbox for unexpected exposure. Go to shamelesscare.com and click on the prevention tab and you will find Shameless Care offering Doxypep for just 109 bucks a year. It's not a subscription, just 109 bucks gets you a prescription and a year's supply of medication. No need for awkward doctor's visits or waiting in pharmacy lines. You can receive the care you need without any shame or hassle. Go to shamelesscare.com, hit the prevention tab, let them know we sent you, and add this tool to your sexual health toolbox. Big thanks to shamelesscare.com for sponsoring this podcast. We'd also like to thank Dipsy Stories for sponsoring this episode. I came around the corner the other day and Charlotte's cheeks were all flushed and I asked her what was going on in her mind. And she admitted that she had just been listening to a gay romance story on Dipsy. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes, realistic characters, hot and heavy dialogue, and erotic stories that will light you up and spark your imagination. Radically inclusive, Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners alike. 56% of the stories are voice acted by people of color, and new content is released every week so you can find something new to explore. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pleasure. That's 30 days full access for free when you go to dipsystories, D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pleasure. You'll find this link in the show notes and at pleasuremechanics.com slash toolbox, along with all the other generous offerings from our podcast sponsors. That's pleasuremechanics.com slash toolbox. I feel like you've talked about how relationship and sexual issues are like a, a relationship issue, not it's like a we problem, a we thing to fix instead of an individual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's such a helpful framing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would it, how would the two of you put that in your like in your language? Like, yeah, that, that I really do want, even though sometimes there is a way that we can locate a problem inside of a body, it is still a relationship problem. It is how I feel about this challenge that's arising inside of your body or how the two of us navigate it together. But how does that, how would the two mm. of you frame that mm. connection between sexual problems as mm. relationship problems? 
I'm thinking of the whole picture of that discernment of knowing like the you, the me, the we, and then also the bigger we of, right, the culture at large, social mm. pressures, um, the context, right? So much of this goes back to kind of recognizing the context we're in and then what we as an organism are reacting to. Um, and I think I've more and more just really been practicing around this line of discernment and getting more and more clear and sometimes that's through conversation and sometimes yeah. it's just a a check-in and we know like right sometimes sexual relationships are very much a we and sometimes it's a very much like I am bringing this in me I am reacting to something that has nothing to do with you and by saying that it's almost like an invitation in right and yeah. we're going to learn about um, one another through this process I'm going to let you take care of me in this moment maybe a little bit and come back to a we that mm. is safe and connected and communicating mm. clearly, right? Um, and the over and over againness of this, right? And that's why <laughs> it looks like this thing to my heart because, you know, we can return to these things. You know, Charlotte and I just celebrated our 17 year anniversary. Oh, and we gave each other big high fives for the growth. <laughs> and then we are like, and still those children yeah. we were when yeah. we fell in love at 25, we are still at 42 and we know each other so well, we can kind of discern these moments of like what's going on. Um, but then also in our poly journey now, right? We have the opportunity to love new people and see so mm -hmm. much of what is ours that we bring and shows up in these mm. different reflections mm -hmm. in this amazing interconnected humanity mm -hmm. thing <laughs> yeah that's mm -hmm. an interesting space to see where it's like oh this is me doing this again that's yeah fascinating yeah. space to really have to see that really clearly you're running and a I little experiment i love your work that relational self-awareness right because it is an eroticism of the me the you the we the space in between and what that connection brings up what energies it surfaces um, and what we find there, right? The treasure trove of this. We, sometimes we call it the inner work and the therapy yeah. and it feels so heavy. Where for me, this is practices of liberation and freedom. Mm -hmm. And we move mm -hmm. towards joy and pleasure and connection and the, the depths of intimacy we have to experience when we release ourselves from these patternings that mm -hmm. most of which were never our choice in the first place. So much mm -hmm. of how we react to one another, like, as you said, family of origin things, early childhood trauma, um, social and cultural intergenerational traumas, which so many of my friends are sitting so heavy with right now, right? Yes. What does it mean yeah. to be part of a people? Um, yeah. And that relationality is what comes to the surface with, with relational self-awareness practice. That's right. Um, who am I in this huge family of humanity? Yeah. And the humbleness of that. Well, and that the and that the process is far more important than the outcome because I don't know like in the example I gave about last night that was a really clear one right that one was a very clearly Alexandra issue you know it is and I and it is not that that doesn't free Todd I, I would like Todd's support and his patience and his compassion et cetera et cetera mm. but that was that was a me but so often in these relational dynamics as, as both of you are speaking to we don't it is we're not going to ever know what percentage is the me what percentage yeah. is the you what percentage is the we the culture and we don't actually in fact need to because it is the process of like peeling back a layer looking together at it that is so intimacy promoting and that opens up new possibilities of how we see ourselves and how we see the other so 
it's not sometimes there is like an outcome of like sweet we figured it out now we can do this differently but oftentimes most of the time there really isn't a neat tidy equation or formula or pie chart that shows us what's actually really going on but we don't need to hold on to a desire to understand objective reality if we trust how how much intimacy emerges from a curious process of what what do you think it is about your life experience that would lead you to respond in this way like help me understand what comes mm-hmm. up for you in a moment like this that's mm-hmm. like that's where the good stuff is it's such a generous and compassionate approach just yeah. to bring that curiosity and be in an inquiry together and not be focused yeah. on getting it right or having an exact answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I'm this- curious you began talking about love as a verb. I'm curious as you are pulling all of this knowledge together and curating it, right? This is a really uh, generous curation of so much. <laughs> What are some other verbs that stuck out as practices? What were some of the verbs that emerged for you? Mm. One, I know that there's one entry in there. Lord knows what date it is. <laughs> it's all about the power of the re, you know, revisit, mm. re-examine, um, redo. <laughs> mm. uh, you know, the, so that's not, that's not a verb, but that's that idea mm-hmm. of how much compassion there is when we allow ourselves, like, like redo is a, a big one, right? Yeah. Just sometimes even just saying, I'd like a redo. Mm-hmm. I don't like how I, I don't like the tone I just used when I spoke to you. And like sometimes even humorously walking out of the room, yeah. resetting the face, coming back in for the redo. There's so much generosity and, and grace in that. So redo, revisit. I, I think that's a very powerful. So revisit and pause kind of go together. For me, I think that we often, because I think, I think because of, I think there's a number of reasons, but so often I think couples especially want to have a whole conversation, have a beginning, a middle and an end to a conversation. And, and, and that's oftentimes just not possible or, or in order to have that kind of endurance in a conversation, we have to override so many cues from our bodies that we actually end up kind of constricting you know, our fullness to stay in a conversation. So I'm a big fan of the pause, the revisit that is loving, not avoidant. And for those of us who grew up in a family where that was what happened, shut down, walk away, icy silence. It Mm -hmm. it can feel re-traumatizing, but there's something so loving about saying, I'm the, my sponge is full. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm aware. I feel the, I can feel these cues in my body that I'm not, I'm no longer in this conversation able to show up how I want to show up, how you how you deserve me to show up, how this relationship deserves, you know. So smaller conversations. So pause and, and revisit, I think, are powerful verbs, too. I said to a lover the other night, can we just rest in knowing that we care about one another and take a moment and hold one another's hands and put a pin in it, right? Or sometimes yes. Charlotte talks about parking lot it. Like, just yeah. let's put it in the parking lot. We acknowledge it's there. And we're going to circle back. Yeah. so much I also love the rewind, which is kind of what you were talking about, mm-hmm. like a, the, the literal returning back and then like rewinding the yeah. tape and starting over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of these. Mm-hmm. One way to bring the conjunctions in, right? Because it's like we recognize that every verb, it's like how we're doing it now, how we used to do it and how we intend to do it in the future. And we can time travel together through conversation. <laughs> One of the things Charlotte and I have been doing a lot is pre-gaming, especially with polyness. Um, like, how would you feel if 
we took Ooh. two separate cars home after the dance party yeah. and we can feel into multiple possibilities and so much of what our work has been about recently is you know feeling into our bodies truths and what we're you know the wisdom that speaks from inside us the data i think you call it yeah uh, <laughs> the somatic data that can yeah. inform uh, our sense of selves who we know ourselves to be what we want our needs and boundaries and as you said, that contraction that we can feel, right? It's like you automatically you feel right away, no, that's not going to work for me. And so hmm. we can fast forward the tape as much as we can rewind it to. Yes, I love that. Yeah. Right. That's our so, own right. So well, and and there's it's such a it's what a loving gesture to to pre pregame. I love that. It's a little yeah. different than um how my uh, daughter at college pregames. That's a whole <laughs> different thing. On a college campus, it is not so much about imagining what might happen as it is <laughs> whatever. Um, um, that that it is you're using the power of your imaginations, and it is mm-hmm. saying we don't we don't know right. We don't know how this moment might feel, but it is inviting a kind of imaginative process where there might be some really clear somatic data of like, oof, I feel that as a no, or I imagine that would be a yes. So that's a beautiful yeah. practice of the of fast forwarding to anticipate, and not it's not um. It's not as a means of control or management. It's a it's a a here a generosity in the way that I imagine the two of you do this. Like, mm. let's play this out. How might this feel for you? Totally. Like, what is the right action to take for this particular situation? We had one particular moment we like did four different possibilities. One made me burst into tears in <laughs> okay, upset. Good. We good. were like, Thank oh, you. I'm so glad we figured that out right now. <laughs> And one made me feel excited and curious. And we chose that one. Mm -hmm. And it was so useful to go Mm -hmm. ahead of time and just have that whole range, sitting comfy, having coffee in bed, discussing it instead of like in the moment. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I could imagine I could imagine a couple using that as they go into a holiday gathering, you know, especially a couple who's just getting to know each other's families of origin kind of playing Mm -hmm. out like, okay, so if my uncle makes a comment, you know, what do you like, what would advocacy in that moment look like? Or what, Mm -hmm. you know, just sort of like, like for that forecasting at looking ahead forecasting Mm -hmm. i love that Mm -hmm. i love that and you know we're talking about the generosity that can happen in these conversations will you talk to us about reluctant partners Uh, we often get emails from folks who are ready for change aching and yearning and they find themselves with a reluctant partner um, sometimes even described as stubbornly you know, in a rut, (laughs) wedded to that rut. Um, What do you do when only one out of two people in the, in the couple is willing to participate? Well, I, I would love to hear your thoughts about this as well, because I think it is, it's a question that I get so, so, so often as well. I, I don't, I don't think there are a lot of easy answers. And I think that there's a spectrum, right, as you're naming sort of reluctance to absolute stubborn refusal. And, I really want I want the the ready partner to really try to discern where on that sort of imaginative spectrum does your partner fall because because the ready partner because of a fear or an urgency might be reading their partner as stubbornly refusing when in fact they might just be needing a little more zhuzh and a little more you know kind of warm up and gentleness so mm. that's one piece of it is right can can our ready partner kind of quiet themselves enough and open themselves up enough to really understand where is my partner at versus the fear 
I have that my partner is all the way over here on this end of the spectrum, when in fact they might be like, no, 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 I'm not a hard no. I just am scared or really worried about disappointing you. I think so often that reluctant partner is afraid to try anything Mm -hmm. for fear of disappointing the ready partner. And Chris, I see your hand going up because there is, right? It is like such a well, because so often our reluctant partner comes by their reluctance real honestly. And there's a lot of words we're throwing around a lot lately about narcissism and avoidantly attached and emotionally unavailable that I think really oftentimes do a disservice to a partner who just is in the, in the, in the baby end of the pool because they have not been socialized in a way where they have been taught anything about their own internal world. They don't have language for their feelings. They're not shut down. They are just needing some context and, and practice around this. And it does not mean that our ready partner, does not mean it's the ready partner's job and responsibility to be their teacher, educator, coach. But it does mean that there's a difference, I think, between inexperienced with self-work and curious conversation and contemptuous of self-work and curious conversation. Mm. <sighs> the Solomon <laughs> wisdom is flowing. <laughs> Love. That's so real. And I think, you know, naming that fear of disappointment, fear of change, because mm-hmm. sometimes I think within a love relationship, it can be like, well, I know it's messy, but it's our mess. And yeah you know, the fear of like losing that connection if it were to change um, rather than getting closer and kind of putting that on the table. Um, I think resignation is a big thing mm. that happens too. And I love your idea that just the smallest 1% change mm. actually is significant yeah. and makes a difference because you think about that 1% over many years and it actually is quite significant. And the idea that we can just build these, yeah. build change and practices really slowly and in small ways, I think yeah. can be really, really helpful. Yeah. And that that can happen from just one person mm-hmm. taking on making small change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if someone really is checked out from that, that there is, there is change that can happen yeah. with one person. Of course, at taking a team approach yeah. will, will be more effective or speedier perhaps. But yeah. And I'm thinking of the massage correlate, right, of, what can be offered enthusiastically honestly. and honestly? Is it a five-minute foot rub and that's what's real between you right now? Um, so sometimes these conversations, it's like, let's just walk the dog together every night this week and see what happens. Yeah. Or yeah. go for a long drive. Um, what is a, a place we can meet um, rather than we're going to do a practice every day, every, all year, right? That's um, right. That's or right. throw the book at one another and say, just open to any random page and let's discuss what comes something. up. Because it mm-hmm. feels less targeted mm-hmm. then. And mm-hmm. it's not like we're going to work on your core issue with your mother right now, right? Right. Um, yeah. It's more yeah. of the Oracle approach with whatever comes up is okay for today. Right. And that, and I, I would want in that, in that, I think that is, that is spot on. And in that, like in choosing that, approach, I want our ready partner to allow themselves to grieve a bit, right? To grieve that I know I want this much and I know this much is available. So letting, like making space for grief, having a sense of pride that I know how much I want and I'm so proud of my of my ability to really savor what's available to me right now, that that's not necessarily an abandonment of self, but a, but a, an appreciation of and a capitalizing on 
what is possible in this moment. Not forever, but for now. Like the, the, to, to take what's available now and to work within what's available now mm-hmm. in the hopes of being able to expand it. It's beautiful. I think there's a way in which that can, I think we can get scared that we're self-abandoning or we're settling and, you know, and I think that I would want someone to just also be able to notice what a, like how much courage there is in that of working within what's possible and perhaps also reminding oneself about everything else that is, that is beautiful and cherishable about this relationship, you know? Um, but tell me about that. Cause I, I think there can be there. I think there can be a time when it does become self-abandonment, you know, to the point of resentment where I'm not doing anybody any favors by acting as if this is enough. So I, mm-hmm. and I think that line is hard to feel into. Whew. I just really love how you make space for so much messiness while also <laughs> always, always bringing the intense compassion. <laughs> and like the combination is so beautiful and I think so what we need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Just in order to be with what is and yeah. how, do we, how do we keep molding it and shaping it and playing with it and working yeah. with it and dancing with it. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that word that comes up in a lot of your work is brave. Mm-hmm. How do we be brave with love? And that's such yeah. a, that's the daily practice, especially in this world right now. Um, mm-hmm. How do we live with open hearts? How do we bra- be brave with our love? How do we be bold in our healing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to dream into relationships and intimacy um, in a world of loving every day that mm-hmm. we may never have experienced in our life yet. And that's been so much of building a family with Charlotte. It's, <laughs> building a version of family where we all feel safe every day, where we bravely love one another and stay on that edge of growth together. Mm. Um, and to be mm. reminded that these are practices we come back to day in and day out, right? Even mm-hmm. even the pleasure mechanics need this reminder. So thank <laughs> you so much for this book and all of the rich wisdom it offers. Um, there will be links in the show notes and at pleasuremechanics.com backslash Solomon, where you will find all of the resources and ways you can learn more with our dear friend, Dr. Alexander Solomon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Charlotte and Chris. It was wonderful to be with you always. You are, you, um, I love the way in which my, my heart and my mind both feel really engaged when we're in conversation with each other. So thank you for all of what the two of you do. I mean, you're, my gosh, I mean, when you, you know, the, the compassion that you spoke to in terms of my work, I feel in everything that the two of you create, there's so much care and so much compassion and so much permission in everything that the two of you do. It's your integrity shines through in, in all of your offerings. And we are we are better for having having the two of your work in the world. So thank you. Aww. Right back to you. Thank, thank you so you. much. Big thanks to Dr. Solomon for being here with us today and discussing the importance of practicing love every day. If you want to go deeper with Dr. Solomon, go to pleasuremechanics.com slash 101 and you will find her courses and offerings. We love you every day. We are here for you every day. Our resources are available for you and we are here for you. Reach out, be in touch at pleasuremechanics.com. I'm Chris from pleasuremechanics.com wishing you a lifetime of pleasure. Cheers.